This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to a complete history of Manchester United. I'm Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. Joined as always by Paddy Barclay, the legendary football writer and retired journalist, author of the definitive biography of Sir Matt Busby, a biography of Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, got to serve them both up, and um, obviously a biography of Jose Mourinho as well. So as well-versed as any man can be in the... Manchester United managerial lineage um, and we are taking you on this journey through Old Trafford history. If you're watching the video, please give us a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Manchester United last time um, promoted from the second division. We were very, very lucky, Paddy, to have the um, accompaniment of Sammy McElroy, who took us through that journey back into the top flight. It was a great experience talking to him, the stories. He was telling us about how in the post-season, United went to Australia, uh, which seems absolutely crazy that they did so. Um, but that's what they did for the entire summer. They went away to Australia, and you would have thought a team who were... They had such reserves of energy, and the, the entire game plan was based around this energy. It seemed like the worst possible thing that they could have done, really, in terms of keeping that momentum going for their following season. But back in the top flight, that team who took the second division by storm was perfectly placed to compete at the top of the division already. And that was without Willie Morgan had been transferred out and Steve Coppola was now a permanent fixture on the right. Um, How surprising was it? that United were that good straight away? Because they were immediately competing at the top. Yeah, well, it would have it would have been extraordinary today. Um, I mean, in terms of teams coming up, yeah, there were others um, that later did that. Nottingham Forest being the obvious example, um, you know, going all the way to the to the title. But the, but Ipswich um, had done it before. But really, I don't think there was a great deal of surprise because they'd been. So United had been so good in the second division, they'd really just burned through it. And playing playing such confident football, there was still concern. Um, and if you look at the team now, um, 
maybe nowadays it would have found it difficult to compete in height and 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 you know a lot yeah. of these physical attributes but the football was so effervescent um that they just walked into the first division the elite the premier league as it would now be called as if they owned it and um <clears throat> it was it was a very very exciting period because the the busby era the excitement of and uh, of the busby era had been recreated under Tommy Doherty. um the, and the crowd figures which we'll no doubt discuss at some stage in this episode very much reflected that uh, right from the start it was pretty close to the 60,000 capacity of the just over 60,000 capacity of the ground so uh, yeah, they, 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 they were so so effervescent and exciting that even though I think um, Gordon Hill was not signed until three months into the season, that number 11 shirt, which had been problematic ever since Ian Story Moore, a wonderful signing under, um, well, Busby actually made the signing, but it was under the management of Franco Farrell, uh, a player who would have been a United legend, but for injury. Um, Gordon Hill at last filled that number 11 jersey, the outside left jersey, and United had balance. It had the, the old Busby um, tradition of two two proper wingers, which he had been there right from the post-war start of the Busby era with um, Mitten and um, uh, the Scotsman. <laughs> I've forgotten his name. Uh, the outside right. Uh, the um, oh, Delaney, Delaney and Mitten, you know, that right from the start of the Busby era, two wingers, and now with the signing of, of Gordon Hill three months into this season, we have Coppel on one wing, Hill on the other, different kinds of players, but both scored goals, and, uh, and they had this balance. It really looked like a Manchester United team, and you expect a Manchester United team to compete for all the trophies, and, and this one didn't disappoint. Yeah, it was interesting... Obviously, the dynamic of this team will talk about the, the complete evolution of it in the following episode. But yes. it was interesting to know how really that front six, it was McCory and McElroy who had blossomed into real stalwart figures around which the attack yes. was built. Their, their confidence had built and grown over the sort of two years they'd been around the side. Obviously, they'd, they'd been in there as young players and they'd, they'd both had their issues. McElroy with um, the car crash and the subsequent recovery and the confidence yeah. of kind of assumed the responsibility, the creative responsibility. Macari coming in with a massive price tag over his head and not really being a 30-goal season striker, which everyone was hoping for. But mm. that now they were both growing in confidence and they were they were the staples in that team. Mm. Funnily enough, McElroy at the start of the season is playing from the left again. Um, yeah. And you've got Macari playing in the front. Over time, both would move into the middle of the park and become the heartbeat of the side. Um, but it, it shows their importance in in sort of bringing United back into the top flight and, and how critical they were in in mm. terms of the uh, well leading leading the attack really for the for the um, for United's attacking play and the style. They were um, every every um, modern interview that you take with any player from this squad, and I'm sure you've found the same, Paddy, is the yeah. Lycan Dockett's team from this period to Barcelona of the modern era, in terms of, they would say, it's, he would, Dockett said they were like flies around a sugar bowl. Yeah. And it's important to make a distinction when we're, we're having this conversation, because people will think, oh, total football in the 70s that wasn't played by Holland. That's not necessarily what they're talking about, because 
all possession wasn't really a, a thing apart from the defense the really defensive play uh, teams would mm. look to keep hold of the ball this wasn't what manchester united were doing it was about ball recovery and pressing the mm. ball out the pitch that's mm. what they mean when they're talking about the barcelona style of football the way that they yeah. would harass teams and push them out of the pitch yeah that's true and and uh, i would say there's one other similarity with when you look at at, at many of the great Barcelona teams, you see that the centre-backs are both footballers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember sort of Rijkaard and Koeman, you know, guys who could have played central midfield, you know, easily. Um, in fact, did. Um, yeah. Ditto, Martin Buchan and Brian Greenoff, both of whom uh, could have played midfield and, and in Greenoff's case, did. <clears throat> so... And I think Buchan might have played a couple of games in midfield as well, but they certainly would have been capable of doing so. So that, that's another incidental similarity, um, even though Doherty may not have designed it that way. But when you, your football really does flow from the back when you have two, two footballers like, um, like Martin Buchan and, um, and Brian Greenoff as your centre-back. Yeah, um, there were stoppers and sweepers, basically, and every team yes. had one stopper. The sweeper yes. would be, it was a kind of like a modern invention. He was the player who would bring the ball out. You could have two stoppers in, yeah. in many of these two-man central defences, but uh -huh. you wouldn't often, well, you wouldn't get two sweepers, which was what made this so revolutionary. And yes. you mentioned Brian bringing the ball out from the back. It actually plays a part. We'll come into later in the season, one of the most famous goals scored under the, the Doherty hero. Mm. Um, so, yeah, United started the season really well. They they won the first, uh, won five of the first six games. They yeah. did play with that ambition. They play exactly the same kind of in, imposing style. They played in the second division. They just carried on yeah. playing the same way, and they didn't show any signs of fatigue from going down under. Um, occasionally, though, the the naivety of that attacking play did cost them in the early parts of the season as they started coming up against top quality opposition. People were surprised when they, their first defeat was a QPR, but it really looking at what QPR were, were doing with this great side, yes. um, it wasn't so much of a surprise, really, in retrospect. No, no, they, they, they. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil the the ending, but uh, QPR went within a point of 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 the league title that year. They were an outstanding team. I remember them. Uh, how they played football on the on the mud heap of that was Loftus Road. Uh, in the pre-AstroTurf uh, days, I don't quite know, but it was a very good side, and they didn't change it much. Uh, it was the team of Don Masson, I think, and um, David Thomas on the wing, and uh, the manager was Gordon Jago, and I think, um, I, 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 I honestly can't think that they used more than 14 or 15 players during the season. They were very good, so th there was no disgrace in losing to QPR, especially at QPR. Yeah, um, they also lost Derby, who were a great side. West Ham, who were challenging for European honours at this mm, time. Yeah. Liverpool and Arsenal. So these were their defeats in the early season. But it just shows, first of all, that United were a very young side now, thanks to the turnover mm. of all the players. And also, they did have that naivety that came with being a young side, going back into the top flight against teams who were experienced winners and experienced yes. for challenging for honours. But like you mentioned earlier, Gordon Hill signs in um, November. Yeah. Very critical signing in terms of the balance of this team because it finally gave like a very distinct right and left side 
in a very distinct middle core of this team, didn't it? Yes. Um, and Gordon, I mean, he came from Millwall had just been relegated to the third division at the start of this season. So yeah. he, he's making a leap of two divisions. Um, obviously, well, I'm going to be very um, biased in to, towards Gordon because I know him very well, but um, yeah. let's give him a little bit of a tribute here because the way that he settled into life in the top flight was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it, it, it was. He came, I mean, it came from next to nothing. I, I Actually, if you don't mind, I'll just take a slight detour here to pay tribute. And in fact, I know you won't mind because it's, it's the point is to make a tribute to Jimmy Murphy. We'd been brought out of mothballs by Doherty. And my word, what that was probably one of Doherty's smartest ever moves because he, the previous year, he discovered Steve Koppel at Tranmere. And he also, he went to Doherty and he said, bye, Gordon Hill. And Doherty quite, was quite open about it. He said, if Jimmy Murphy says, buy a player, I don't need any more information about him. And he got uh, Gordon Hill, to, uh, he got the two of them for about 120,000 quid, yeah. uh, which is amazing business um, because they were fantastic players, different sort of players. We, we think of that team this team as four to four probably i don't know how you will come to your tactics board at the end but and I, i'd be interested to see how you how you lay it out but Koppel always is insisted he, he didn't he hated being called a winger he said i'm a right-sided midfield player but he sure as hell had all the attributes of a winger gordon hill had all of those plus a goal scoring uh, ratio that a lot of strikers would have killed for um so uh, and, and and i'm sure you won't let this episode go without mention of one particular goal that he scored um but uh it, it he was he was a thrilling player probably a more thrilling player than steve koppel not necessarily a better one but um more thrilling and he became a crowd favorite immediately because he was he played in in you know him far better than I ever did, but uh, he's got a boyish person. I don't know if he still has a boyish personality. Yeah, he does, or so. yeah. And he played. He played. He had that childlike quality when he played. He skipped and he he beat people for fun. He did a lot of things for fun. There was fun in his. He played with a smile on his face, and so of course immediately became a crowd favorite. Yeah, um, the king of all cockneys. Not not necessarily. A natural successor to the King Dennis Lowe, but certainly the King of All Cockneys. And yeah, Old Trafford mm -hmm. talked to him straight away. And they called him the, the happiest Londoner who ever went north or something like that. <laughs> um, and, and he was, he was brilliant. And any sort of look back at the goals that he scored, you can see they were just a spectacular variety. His, his style of volume was, I mean, oh, no one matched what, that until Mark Hughes came up. Absolutely, yes. Uh, a great shout. Um, if you were to compile a list of the of the best volleyers of you know of the last fifty years or something, he would come into the the equation as would uh, Mark Hughes. Um, so he had that, and uh, you know, just the, the the he could beat beat people. He, he had tricks galore, and uh, and and most important from the the team's point of view, he can he was. Uh, chipping in with goals, <clears throat> they had strikers. Uh, the, the 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 you know you said Macari wasn't wasn't prolific. It's true. He uh, quite a selfless player, Lou Macari, considering he'd been such a big star um, at Celtic a few years earlier. 
he 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 fitted into very much a team player at at Old Trafford. And then there was Stuart Pearson, also a popular player with his teammates for his the effort he put in for the team, but definitely a um, a goal scoring striker. But what what made this this team so good was the contribution um, of of other players. Sammy McElroy being one example in terms of goal scoring. When when other players are chipping in with six or seven, my goodness, doesn't half make a dif difference and take the pressure off the strikers. Gordon Hill uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, I it's sort of bumpy start. Well, not start, but bumpy autumn basically ruled mm. them out of the the first division title race. But they still, with Hill in the side, they basically recovered. The, the form was really good over the sort of like yeah. winter to spring, and they were sort of in touching distance. And we'll get to to what how close that touching distance was. But they yeah. were they were there or thereabouts. They were they were competing at the top. The the style was was fantastic. Hill providing that balance on the left. Couple extraordinarily consistent on the right both of them mm -hmm. handling that step up in, in quality um and becoming two of the standout wingers in the league really in the way that um united mm -hmm. taking, taking the league by storm um the the philosophy seems sound united were they went on a cup run that began to capture the imagination of the city especially after an epic tie with wolves in the quarterfinal which united won in extra time mm -hmm. that set up um, a semi-final with derby county and Derby were one of the top sides, so yeah. this was a real test to see how, we, how far United had come. Um, and uh, it was played at Hillsborough. Um, I'm sure um, Gordon, again, if he's going to be watching this anymore, well, because I'll I'll tell him that we're putting on quite a tribute to him. Good. Um, Gordon's overall goal scoring tally for United, and you mentioned it earlier, but his overall ratio was actually mm. pretty much like for like with Ronaldo's. Um, in terms of goals per game, which tells you Amazing. how and, and, and we're talking about a player who, who did only play down the left. You mentioned Koppel, his, his, his view of his position was as a right-sided midfielder, it's basically because Hill had licence to do what he wanted. And if yeah. Hill basically joined in as a 4-3-3, uh, as a three-man attack, then Koppel would yeah. make it narrower to make a 4-3-3. They were yeah. quite flexible, even though... To all intents and purposes, anyone that you would talk to would always say this team's four two four. They did yeah. at least have the, the ability to either go compact as a four four two or yes. could play as a four three three with Hill being the more cavalier and couple having more responsibility. It was a perfect blend. And again, do you think what? Sorry to interrupt, but you, you, just on this point, I'd be interested to know whether you think part of what made that side so well balanced was that yes, couple. A little bit better at the defensive arts than um, than Hill had behind him Alex Forsyth, who correct me if I'm wrong was Alex Forsyth not better going forward than defending? Yeah. Whereas Stuart Houston on the other side behind Hill, yeah. although he could come forward, uh, was a superb defender, a centre back, yeah. you know, converted to a left back, um, and and. That sort of did that not help the balance of the side in that in that there was a bit more protection for Forsyth than for Houston, who didn't need the protection as yeah. much. Absolutely, and you've got to say as well, Houston being that more defensive, resolute player also helped Greenoff come forward with the ball. It provided yes. a backbone there as well. So Doherty, he often refers to the repositioning as or he referred when he was alive to the repositioning as Brian in the centre half position. 
as a as an accident something that was a, a happy stroke of fortune mm. um but it, it it was really a stroke of genius in the way that it helped this side um set up in terms of um the way the very core um principle of the way that they played and this was um very prominent in the game against uh, derby county um uh, the other thing that should be mentioned about we talk about Koppel and hill in particular but Hill was the first time that United had had a standout extrovert in the side since George Best in the manner yeah. that, and we're not, I'm not going to compare him to George Best or Duncan Edwards, but at their best, United had always been a team that played a specific style of football, a specific, mm-hmm. specific yeah. way, and they accommodated one standout individual. Mm-hmm. That front six of Duke basically all played with industry, apart from Hill, who was the Cavalier standout maverick in that mm-hmm. side, which mm-hmm. made it kind of like it was a reminiscent and a nostalgic side for this United fan base who were getting behind. Obviously, a lot of these United fans had grown up in the post-68 era. You know, they, they'd start mm-hmm. to travel to games and everything like that. So they wanted a hero, and, and Hill <laughs> fell into that. And so the, the game against Derby at Hillsborough, it was such a massive event. United fans travelled in hordes, obviously. It was more like a home game. And then midway through the first half, Brian brings the ball out from the back, plays the ball to Jerry Daly. Daly has a look around. Gordon's popped up on the right wing, plays the ball to Gordon. Gordon cuts in, hits an absolute belter of a shot into the mm. top corner. And the crowd go absolutely crazy because it's looking like United are going to go back to Wembley. And um, Gordon adds a second goal in the second half, a deflected free kick, but a, a bit of a, uh, an error for the, the defender to get in the way of it, really, because it was hit with such power. Um, so, I mean, talk us through the atmosphere of that day because, I mean, United fans, had obviously, they were gaining kind of a notorious reputation anyway, particularly in the early part of the 70s. We've talked about yeah. the, the the occasions in which the home games had to be moved and everything like that. The, the Red Army had been definitely infamous in the way that they travelled in, in the second division. Mm. But it was certainly an incredible atmosphere that day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, it, it, it was one of the sort of um, the old sores, the old cliches about about football nobody remembers the semi-finals um and and this probably stood out because it was so open and uh cavalier in the way it was a sort of gordon hill kind of match yeah. and uh and and so fitting that he was the the main personality as you say great at, um great atmosphere at hillsborough um and you know an atmosphere to which the united contingent contributed i mean it's it's actually just dawning on us as we go through this chronologically that that manchester united is becoming bigger in terms of population um than at most times under busby um okay the ground was bigger uh manchester united's crowd this well we'll get on to the crowd later but the the average was was 51,000 we'll get on later I'm sure to the significance of that figure vis-a-vis the rest of football because during the entire of uh, entirety of Busby's uh, reign as manager Manchester United were not di- different in terms of yes the Busby Babes was the best team in the country uh, became it but they weren't different in terms of finance they weren't 
always for a lot of time on Busby during Busby they weren't the most watched team in the country by now Manchester United were on a different level support wise both home and away uh, to any other club in England and and that as I say was an was an advantage that 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 Doherty and his successors were to enjoy um uh, uh, that Busby never really did to the same extent. Yeah, it's funny the way that you, you talk about that because anyone who really, really gets into the, the meat and bones of United's history will know that even before Busby came along, um, before in the era before this podcast, basically, mm. I'm sure that maybe in, in time we'll go back and, and look at that era, but United was still seen as the one of the most romantic clubs in the country, and, and may, mostly because they'd faced financial ruin twice. Their mm-hmm. first great team after they'd become man, become known as Manchester United were they had superstars from Manchester City who sort of defected across town, sort of Billy Meredith. So when they, they won the first um, title in 1908, they were seen as a great football inside, one of the great fo- first football insides in, mm-hmm. in English football history. Um, in fact, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm not that old, and Paddy isn't as well. So I should I should make that note. But the the reports at the time were that United basically were the most glamorous. They they, they were most yeah. glamorous first division yes. side that had ever won the yes. title. So yeah. we're we're now advancing to a time where obviously you've got Munich, you've got the relegation, you've got the the romance of the European Cup. It was a storyline club really mm-hmm. the way in which they were developing it was like a, a real life soap opera and people were intrigued by that and yeah. there is no doubt in obviously there was a human uh, a human affection for for what happened after munich yeah, but, munich, but munich. there was a, also a curiosity of um the romance of coming back the fact that they went down the fact that mm-hmm. dennis lord scored a back heel <laughs> to yeah. send them well symbolically send them down all of these yeah. things did add to the the theater as um bobby challen would later call it so yes. this intrigue that united were you know in in fight back you know and the fact that you know now you had a generation of like I said earlier a generation of support were following the fathers who watched the busby babes they watched mm. united going to the european cup but now they were able to travel themselves and, mm. and see that there's a really feverish connection to um to this team at United mm. and the youthfulness I think added to it as well the youthfulness of the team and the youthfulness of the support it was like they were growing up together and that's mm. always a great combination for an atmosphere um, mm. United though because again that naivety comes in the distraction of this cup run um, the idea that they get into Wembley and they're going to be able to play against Southampton in the final which they would Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film If only in theaters May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Heavily tipped as favourites, even oh, despite yeah. that experience, because Southampton are in the second division. 
the following week after the semi-final, they lose 3-0 at uh, Ipswich. Any slim hope of really challenging for the league title is dashed when they lose 1-0 at home to Stoke, a game in which Peter Shilton, who Docket is, tried to sign earlier in the season to replace Alex Stepney. Mm-hmm. Um, Shilton is absolutely tremendous as well. Um, I should also mention, around this time, two of those defeats against Liverpool and Arsenal, and I think United's exit from the League Cup, a lot of people play, blame the um, displacement of Alex Stepney for that because in that period of time, Doherty put in Paddy Roach. This was around the time he yeah. made these attempts to sign um, to sign Peter Shilton. He'd been rebuffed because uh, Busby was putting his foot down and saying there's no way that we're going to pay, I think, was it a £1,000 a week or £100? Yeah. Yeah. It was something for it. It was basically would have made the goalkeeper the highest paid player at the club which yeah. Busby said that he, he wouldn't stand for. And I found that so curious because yeah. everything we know about Busby is he broke the bank three times to set a world record for goalkeepers. Do you know he did, I mean? that's right, yeah. He um, did. Um, Ray Wood and uh, um, Harry Gregg, yeah. yeah. Stepney as well is. And Stepney. Uh, Reg, Reg, Allen. Reg Allen was the other one. Um, Sorry, not Ray Wood, Reg Allen. Yeah, You're quite yeah, right, from yeah. QPR. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the, he, he'd done that. Obviously, he didn't sign those goalkeepers, Doc A, but he put Paddy Roach in, and, and Roach had nowhere near the experience of Stepney. Um, mm. And those two defeats to Liverpool and Arsenal would end up... I mean, yeah, Roach has got a lot of blame for that, but um, they would prove quite crucial in the direction of the league title at the back of mm. the season. So United couldn't score against Shilton. It was a one-man brick wall. United lose 1-0 at home to Stoke, and that's not really great preparation for the cup final. Um, Southampton had loads of experience. They had Jim McCallioch, who we've talked about previously in the series. He'd moved to Southampton at this point. Uh, talk yeah. us through the 1976 FA Cup final. United yeah. really unable to rouse themselves on the day, Paddy. Yes, it was a, a, you know, the usual sort of slow, uh, you know, sort of slightly laboured FA Cup final. Southampton, as you rightly say, were full of not only experience, but but class. Um, I mean, looking, I'm just looking at the team now. It had Mick Shannon, Peter Osgood, Jim McCallioch, who had a good spell at United before then. Um, Jim Steele, slow but physical defender. Mel Blythe, who wasn't bad. Nick Holmes, who would run all day. And at right back, Peter Rodriguez, the Welsh, the Wales right back, a very decent uh, right full back too. So it wasn't a, wasn't a bad side. But United, yes, rightly still favourites. Southampton were in the second division. I don't know where they did they get promoted that year under Laurie McMenemy. I'm just not sure. Um, but anyway, a, a very good, a very good side under a very good manager. Um, but United just didn't didn't uh, step up. It was the the, the usual team: Stepney, Forsyth, Houston, uh, Jerry Daly, Brian Greenough, Martin Buck, and Steve Coppel, Sammy McElroy, Stuart Pearson, Lou McCary, and Gordon Hill. With David McCreary, a good chance to mention him uh on the bench he made 16 league appearances on the bench during the season and 12 starts so david mccreary was was very much a useful piece of cement um in that side anyway it didn't go well uh the now um sadly um late bobby stokes uh, scored the goal with a low drive from about what 20 yards something like that stepney couldn't uh, couldn't stop it and uh 
And that was it. Stepney's been around for a while now, hasn't he, in this in this series? How often do we think, oh, God, is he still there? Um, but Stepney, yeah, still United's number one goalkeeper. But sadly, to from the United point of view, um, uh, to receive a runners-up medal um, at the end of that game. Um, the, the Of course, for the country as a whole, you talked before about the, the the popularity of United, but the, equally there was uh, beginning to partly because the fans were not popular, and partly because they were doing so well. There was definitely the old uh, Schadenfreude from on behalf of the country. Um, you know, delighted that the underdogs won, uh, as 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 indeed with you know Leeds Sunderland before that. So um, yep, uh, United don't win the FA Cup. They'd be knocked out of the League Cup. They had about two or th three games in the League Cup, I think. But they're knocked out by City, Manchester City, in the League Cup. So the Cups are now gone. Um, interesting to find out from you, Wayne, did they, did they win the League? No, they didn't. After losing to Stoke, they um, went and lost Leicester City, which basically put the nail in that coffin. Um, yeah. It did recover from the, 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 the... That was a penultimate league game, but the FA Cup final was played before yeah. the last league game. Yeah. So they did at least... Um, well, when they came back to Manchester, they actually had a parade anyway, even though... Yeah. Um, even though they didn't win. And at the town hall, Tommy Dockett embraced all the fans. He said, next year we'll bring the cup back to the finest fans in all the land, yeah. which even the players thought was a bit bullish. And um, <laughs> they weren't quite so confident as Tommy Dockett, but you know he was a man to make outlandish promises for sure. Yeah. Um, and um, at least United gave the fans something to cheer in the last home game. Hill and McElroy scoring in a 2-0 win over Manchester City. That secured third place. You mentioned Derby, QPR, sorry, finishing second place, one point behind yeah. Liverpool. So United were third, four points behind Liverpool. So those two games which uh, Paddy Roach um, yeah. basically featured in against Arsenal and Liverpool yeah. Um, yeah. did prove decisive, as, as decisive as the 1-0 the defeat at Stoke. Another thing to mention on the Wembley game, because United's style of football was so dominantly forced now around these wingers, it's not a pitch, the, the old Wembley pitch was definitely not one for wingers. It was one for industry in the middle of the park. That's where the yes. games would generally be won. It'd be yes. they, they used to call it a graveyard for wingers at one point, um, yes. especially when when they, teams were playing the old four four two shapes, um, because because it was such a big pitch. The games would usually in May they'd been especially that year was that that was the the record breaking heat year so it would have been in a very a very hot Wembley um, it was very sultry that was a contributory factor to the 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 pace of the game yeah yeah um yeah um Southampton though worthy winners using all that experience Liverpool worthy winners as unfortunately yeah. my prediction in the earlier series that they would follow United and go down to the second division didn't quite so well, they <laughs> they've handled their post um the, the post Shankly succession, they've handled it a little bit better than what United did with Busby. And they are champions, of the, even though United did score two more goals than them. So they, they win one moral fight. Yeah. But third but place they, in the top flight, an FA yeah. Cup final, that's a really good first. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, first season back. Um, I mean, can you imagine now if a, if a team came up from the championship? to 
the Premier League and at, at Easter had at least an, an, a, a theoretical chance of the double, which this United team did. So, um, I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was a tremendous return uh, to, the, to the top by, by most standards. Um, and, and just, you know, you mentioned Liverpool won the league, but just to reinforce the point I made earlier about United's support growing and growing and growing, uh, the United's average crowd was 54,000. Liverpool won the league with an average crowd of 41,000. Yeah. So that's 25% less. Um, so that kind of emphasizes just how big uh, Manchester United were becoming. Yeah, uh, we'll go through the squad stats very quickly before we come on to the rest of football. I'll pop up this gent on the, um, the screen first, but I'll go through the goalkeepers first of all. Alex Stepney was the main goalkeeper, as we've already established. Mm. 47 appearances, 38 in the league. And Paddy Roach made five appearances, four of those fateful in the league, really. Um, Arthur Alveston, after making his breakthrough in the previous season, makes just three appearances this season, all in the league. Martin Buchan, ever-present. Um, he plays 52 games in all competitions, 42 in the league, obviously, without scoring a single goal. Alex Forsyth, three goals in 35 games, two in 28 in the league. Brian Greenoff, one goal in 50 games, no goals in 40 league appearances. Stuart Houston with two goals in 52, and he played every single league game, and they were where his goals were as well. Jimmy Nickel made 25 appearances in all competitions, 20 of those in the league. And Tony Young, who'd been around the squad and made plenty of appearances, just makes one single substitute appearance this season. Uh, brings us on to Tony Grimshaw there, fullback. He makes just two substitute appearances. These are the only ones that he makes for the club. Um, he's Manchester-born teenager who played at fullback. And, um, yeah, they was the only appearances they made. One of those was in the league and one in the League Cup. Brings us to the midfield. Steve Koppel, 39, goal, uh, 39 goals. 39 appearances in the league, four goals, 49 in all competitions and five goals. Jerry Daly, um, 11 goals and 51 in all competitions, 7 in 41 in the league. David McCreevy, you mentioned earlier, yes, yeah, 16 substitute appearances in the league and 12 appearances from the start. So that was four goals in 32 appearances overall, 19 of those from the bench. So really super sub. I say super sub, but definitely always, pretty much always number 12. He was always, and he was a utility man. Probably his best in holding midfield, but he could play in defence at fullback. He even played in the attack on occasion as well, but um, really good. Um, well, Eric Cantona was later quite disparaging about them. It, it was a really good water carrier, wasn't it, David McCreary? Um, and we'll yes. talk about it in the future as well, uh, for sure. Uh, Sammy Mack, 13 goals in 51 appearances, 10 in 41, as he um, made a great contribution to the return in the top flight. Gordon Hill, his first appearance in the Manchester United history books, ends with 10 goals in 33 appearances, 7 in 26 in the league. Um, really good start from him. You mentioned he was a winger from Millwall. I'm going to give a little bit of a, an added history, um, mm. a little bit of context to the uh, the Jimmy Murphy story. So he'd actually come on United's radar when he, he was actually on loan from Millwall at Chicago Sting. 
Chicago Sting were coached by Bill Folks, and it was he who got the word to Old Trafford and said that he recommended that you know take a look at him. You're quite right. Jimmy Murphy went to watch him play. I think they were Millwall were at Tramia, and he'd seen enough after 30 minutes. He walked out and just said he's definitely you know. He, he's left foot is like a dream or something like that. I think that's what he, he actually said to Jimmy Murphy Jr. That he went to the Throstle's Nest to meet Jimmy Murphy Jr. after watching Golden play. He got home in time for last, you know, um, the last bell to get a, to get a pint in, yeah. and he said, "I've seen a player tonight. He's he's a dead sir." But and he was still feeling quite marginalised by the club. But Jimmy Murphy Jr. remembered him saying, "I don't know why I should bother." Because the club don't seem to bother about me, mm. and um, his son said to him, "You will bother because you're a man of too much integrity." And apparently, he actually walked straight to the phone box and and mm. told Tommy to sign him yeah. and not sleep on it because other clubs were going to go in for him, and and yeah. they were going in for him. And and yeah, that advice proved fateful because United signed him, and um, yeah, he was a left winger who played with freedom, played with liberation, and genuinely. On talent alone, could be regarded as one of the club's greatest. Um, but fate and fortune wouldn't um, work out that way. But an incredible record, as you can see there. I said mm-hmm. earlier, fifty-one goals, one hundred and thirty-four appearances, all, all told, and um, a goal ratio similar to that of Cristiano Ronaldo. And he never played in the front line as well. Mm-hmm. He would go up there. Don't get me wrong, but um, never played as an actual out-and-out striker. Um, Brings us to the other midfielders. Um, let me first come to Tommy Jackson. Tommy Jackson, a midfielder, Northern Irish international who played in the centre of midfield. The hope was he was actually brought into captain the reserve side and do a job there, but he settled in so well and he showed such great experience. He was almost 30 after all, um, mm-hmm. that they brought him into the first team. Basically, to add the bite that the other midfielders didn't have, Jerry Daly wasn't a tackler. Sammy McElroy wasn't a tackler. And Tommy Jackson wasn't really like a hard man in midfield, but he did have that bite. He did have that sort of um, pragmatism, I guess, that the other players didn't have. And um, it really helped at United for a while. He made 23 appearances throughout the season. Um, actually, no, his he, 23 were overall in all yeah. competitions, but he made 20 for United this season, 17 of those in the league. The other midfielder, finally, we get to Jimmy Kelly, who um, he was a Carlisle ball midfielder. He made just one substitute appearance. That was in the win over Wolves in December that was decided by a last-minute Gordon Hill goal. Um, he went on to play, notably for Chicago Sting and Tulsa Roughnecks and in the United States. He actually had a more distinctive career in the NASL than he did in England. So he only made this one substitute appearance. An actual fact, not only Gordon, they were at like, David McCreary would be one of them as well. Many of these players, not necessarily from the squad, but many players from this era would go over to the NASL at a time when mm-hmm. LA and Cruyff were playing. So you'll probably hear a lot more about players who went on to play in North America in this period of time. Um, the front line brings us to Stuart Pearson. 14 goals in 49 games, 13 in 39 in the league. Lou Macari, top goal scorer, 15 goals in 45 games in all competitions. 12 and 36 in the league, which means Pearson was the top league goal scorer. And finally, in the front line, Peter Coyne. He played two games in the latter part of the season. He scored in the second, which was that defeat at Leicester, um, but he never played a game after that. I mean, 
imagine scoring in your last game for United and you're not given another chance. Yeah. <laughs> Bit yeah. unfair for Peter Coyne, but um, that was his record. 50% goal rate, which I, you know, pretty sure he dined out on a few times, you know. Not a bad well, that, puts, that actually puts him above Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned curiosity for the um the way that I'd have the tactics set up. I did go in a four two uh four four two. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. a four two four really. You would put you would be tempted to put Copeland Hill in the space between Daly McElroy, McCory mm-hmm. and Pearson, really. You'd put them a little further up. But just mm. for the ease of, of putting it there, they, you wouldn't say it was a flat four by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it was, you would say, the most associated shape with this team is definitely 4 2 4, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, United's colours this season red, white, and black socks. Um, the very cool away kit of Admiral was now the kit manufacturer, and the away kit was white, black, and black. But the, the best thing about the shirt was it had four stripes down the, the left breast, which mm-hmm. was down the, um, under the crest as well. And it was pretty much universally acclaimed as the coolest United away strip of all time, um, mm-hmm. at a time when fashion was very important to the youth. Um, <laughs> when is it not? But, but certainly then. And, um, yeah, so... The kit was really cool, and it's funny because I'm pretty. Did we mention this with Sammy on the last podcast? He really hated that strip. He did not like it. He thought it wasn't great. I think some of them. If you grew up watching United wearing red and then blue, yeah. as they did in the European Cup final, then you probably you probably always want to wear that. Yes. Um, Sammy also wore that brilliant yellow kit as well that I love. Um, but he I can't that. understand why you like yellow strips, but there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, um, yeah, that uh, I like the black and the white from what I can remember of it. Yeah, definitely. yeah. The, and uh, the United Review, yeah, uh, looking good. That's a nice, that's a nice one. Yeah, uh, it is livelier it, than usual. It was it. Yeah, it, it very is. If you if you can't see the um, if you can't see it because you're listening back on the audio, it's basically it's welcome to Old Trafford at the top. United Review on the bottom and. A nice um, caricature of most of the players um, yeah. in the middle there, yeah, and um, not uh, and not a geezer shaking hands with a player as uh, traditional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they definitely mixed it up in the seventies, as we can tell. Remember the one that had the circles in the different areas of the pitch. So yeah, very postmodern. Um, some some abstract art going on there on the United Review <laughs> uh, through this period. You mentioned the average attendances. Let's get to them. So for the second season in a row, which really is quite um, startling, considering they were relegated and only came up from the second division. Mm-hmm. The the attendance at Old Trafford is up six thousand for the second season consecutively. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's now fifty three two seven six overall yeah. in all competitions. Uh, tell me, Paddy, talk about you. Obviously, it was extraordinary in, in terms of Liverpool being yeah. 12,000 lower, but that's a great home attendance in United's average in terms of the history as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yes, it is. It it, it, it definitely um, is. It the highest average in the history? In the history, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the highest. We'll have to clarify that for the next episode. I think, episode, it, I think but, it must um, be because the ground. Um, didn't hold more than 50. Well, yeah, no. And, and also, another thing about 
about this era is is that the disparity between the lowest and the highest attendance is i mean there were a couple of 40 41000 but by and large they were this average of 53 200 whatever it was um it was usually you know on it didn't it didn't uh, vary massively um whereas in the past yes you would get the odd 60000 crowd like for the european matches of the busby babes but you would also get some 30000s simply because maybe it was the week before christmas and and, and or, or 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 maybe there were yeah. two games in a week and the fans couldn't afford to go to both so you would get these massive fluctuations in the crowd um whereas this average of 53200 uh, in all competitions it didn't it didn't vary much you know it was usually around that figure uh, at every game um perhaps a reflection of a higher living standards um who knows the it was the middle of the 70s an era that we associate with inflation and uh, you know rather than prosperity but uh anyway it's 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 manchester united becoming the dominant force off the field in terms of support um that we now think you know people would think oh well yes they are you they're used to having they're competing in recent years perhaps not very successfully with let's say chelsea whose yeah. ground has 30 and, and, and therefore average crowd is 34000 less um that's yeah. an extraordinary disparity which we're talking about 1975-6 it had never been the case in english football i don't think before manchester united started to pull away in the era that we are describing yeah so it's the third highest the the two that are higher than that 66-67 only yeah. marginally that's 54-726 yeah. yeah and then the following season when united are league champions and going for the european cup so obviously yeah interest which was 57-790 but it's it's comparable with those figures which is extraordinary yeah. um yeah. and shows the connection that united fans are having with the team yeah um the key results for united this season paddy you would probably say the first league game where they won 2-0 at wolves yeah and, and proved that they were able to cope in the, that top flight the 3-2 in which they they won at wolves in the in the cup as well mm -hmm. the 2-0 against derby county in the semi-final which obviously um very distinctive result when people look at how Tommy Docherty's side play that's yes. a game that often becomes the the go-to reference and um losing losing the games to Stoke and losing yeah. the um, games to Southampton in the cup final as well um elsewhere in football we already mentioned that Liverpool won the league Manchester yeah. City won the league cup so in you know in modern times that would be very miserable indeed <laughs> well in modern times we live through it we live through it anyone familiar if they're watching this podcast in 2022 you know that <laughs> not much changes uh, liverpool won the uefa cup as well and west ham got to the cup winners cup final hmm. and lost that but it's a very again another indication that british football was um really oh. entering the golden age S since you mentioned europe of course manchester united by finishing third this season qualify for europe don't they yeah you would the uefa cup they would be in next season and um interesting the, the the teams that they would face in that um run 
as we'll get on to when we do come to that, um, are some of the biggest. I mean, they couldn't have drawn any harder names when they, the names didn't come out of the heart. Um, but a great I look, I look forward to that in the next episode. Excellent. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, United 75-76 season. They're back in the top flight. Finished the Tommy Doherty um, has, has really made good on his promise to get United back into the top flight. And more than that, um, they play with um, a verve and a style of flamboyancy. They're always on the front foot. It's the United side who are, are so, um, you would call it naive, really. They're so reluctant to acknowledge the quality of the opposition that Tommy Kavanagh comes into the dressing room and scrunches up the team sheet and throws it into the bin. The message being that, you know, we concentrate on ourselves. But that's what they, everyone loved about this United side, naivety and all. And the idea was, obviously, with the youthfulness in the side, that they would progress and mature and learn from the mistakes that they've made. Hopefully, Tommy Doherty as well in not changing the goalkeeper as rash as he did. Um, and that should hopefully increase for more stability as United look to challenge for the league and trophies um, in the following season. If you are watching this video, please give us a like and subscribe. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Join in the conversation on the YouTube comment section as well. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will be back very soon to discuss that 76-77. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.